newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Media Project offers you a half hour of commentary and analysis on news media issues of the week, and we are very glad to have you with us this week. Your media projectors this week, I guess we'll call ourselves that, investigative journalist Rosemary Romeo, Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady, WAMC's Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith, former editor of the Times Union, now on Substack.com with the Upstate American so here we are, and we're going to give you a half hour of our thoughts on media issues. Dr. Shartak, I just want to get your opinion because I'm just struck by the smart people who are offering baloney through news media sources and through commentary. And of course, I'm thinking specifically of Tucker Carlson, who day after day gives us commentary that makes you wonder, do he and his ilk really believe their words, or is this just performance art? you think the guy is real about this? Well, actually, because I love when Rosemary offers commentary about people's character, and she's terrific at it. And so, you know, the list of things that Carlson has said is so extraordinary that you wonder whether or not he does believe it. So that gives us a choice. He could be stupid, right? Or he could be a purposeful liar. And it seems to me that that's what it comes down to. Rosemary, what do you think? I think it's performance. I think he's genuinely conservative and doesn't like Biden and did like Trump, and so that helps. But I think he loves that his words stir up the controversy that they do. I think he's competing with Hannity. He wants to be number one, and Hannity's quite excellent at it, too. I will uh, point you to his remarks after Biden's first address to Congress this week, and all Hannity had to say about it, this is a speech with something like an 85% approval rating uh, among the American people, that Biden was struggling to get his words out. He had cognitive issues. I mean, it's all just a lie, and it's so dangerous. It's so popular, too. People listen to it. That's what really scares me. And Fox has just been throwing off, especially the Fox commentators, but other right-wing commentators as well, have been throwing out this web of lies, which is we saw it with Trump, and now I thought it would end, and it isn't. Biden is going to take away your hamburgers, and Kamala Harris got the government to buy a bunch of her books to give to children at the border. It's just craziness, and yet it is believed. Yeah, you know, he really is trying to, like, juice up his base. And in some ways, it's reminiscent of the shock jock era, but in a far more dangerous way, because even though the average person will look at it and say, this is craziness, he's cackling through his show with some demonic glee. Sometimes when he encourages parents not to allow kids to wear masks in public. Now, there's some scientific basis for the fact that, you know, little kids don't spread the disease and maybe they don't have to wear their masks when they go to the playground. There may be some nuanced discussion we can have about that, but Tucker Carlson encouraging people to approach people and challenge them about wearing masks in public, that's not productive. And what can we do about it? I think we need to call it out when we see it. We can't just 
just ignore it. For a long time, I was just trying to ignore him. But I think when this stuff gets translated into social media, you see it pop up on Facebook. You need to step up. And as annoying as it is, you need to embrace it and tell people, no, this is not true. There was one book in one bag for a, a migrant child by Kamala Harris. The story was wrong, wrong, wrong. And you just need to you know, keep at it because if you don't keep at it, the uh, liars win. Well, you know, we kick Trump off social media. Very dangerous. Because when you do that, assuming they get back into office, it offers a path for them also. So what's to be done? I mean, other than the fact that if he says something defamatory, you could sue him. But otherwise, you got to put up with it, right? Well, that's a difficult question. I mean, John Alsop in Columbia Journalism Review wrote that the more nuanced the debate, the wilder the right-wing claims about it. And, you know, nuance is always hard in journalism, especially when you're in digital media and you have to try to capture people's imagination, get it down in fewer words because our attention span has been diminished. But my goodness, if we don't call it out every day, it seems to me, we're missing the opportunity that journalism has to try to tell truth. But it makes it seem as though we're targeting the right because it is in the right-wing media ecosystem that all of this exists. How do you do that and not make it seem as though you're just a biased journalist attacking the right wing? Wait, we are attacking the right wing. I mean, even just now in this discussion, which started out specifically about Tucker Carlson, we all, I know I did, said something along the lines of and other right-wing commentators. It really is the right wing that we're attacking, and I'm not sure that that's a bad thing, too. Even if it does seem like we're biased, the purpose of journalism is to tell the truth. And, of course, we have to do it the same if the left does this stuff, too. I did notice that the Pointer Institute, after the Biden speech, began talking about how fulsome, how just full of praise it was kind of gross to listen to Brian Williams was. That's MSNBC, very liberal, and it was very pro-Biden. That also does no favor to people. They want a reason down the middle. It was a good speech, although he did make these mistakes, although he did say this, which is how the heck are we going to pay for it? That's the kind of reporting that you do is right straight down the middle. And I think we got to stop worrying. We worried way too long about whether to call Trump a liar when he was lying. And it's the same now with Tucker Carlson. And here I will add it. Most of the right wing media it is because the story about red meat, the claim that Joe Biden's climate plan will limit us to one hamburger a month, is entirely a construct of initially the Daily Mail in England, which is not a Murdoch paper, but is what we in America would consider Murdoch-ish. And that was then picked up and widely spread across uh, American media platforms, including Fox News, John Roberts, the who was the chief White House correspondent for Fox News, now a, a regular afternoon host. John Roberts knows better. He was a real reporter. He worked for CNN and for CBS News before he went to Fox, but he picked that up and used it. And we ought to, as journalists, I think, call out and shame those people who pose as journalists and give in to this kind of sloppiness that leads to, frankly, lying. It's outrageous. It was even too much for Laura Italiano this week. She was at the New York Post. They used the hamburger story, and she wrote it, and she quit afterwards saying that was the final straw. What do you think of that? That was the Kamala Harris book story. 
Oh, you're right. You're right. It was the book story. Mm-hmm. She was We're getting our outrageous confused. <laughs> I know, I am. Mostly she's been writing about Prince Philip, so I, that totally confused me. She's the royal writer. <laughs> you know, what's interesting in this case is the right wing has taken a little tiny germ of truth in that fact that some people believe a plant-based diet is good for the climate. But that's not anything the Biden administration is proposing, but there are people who make fun of people who embrace these plant-based diets. And so what right-wing extreme media does is amplify it a million times and make people worried that they're not going to be able to get their hamburgers more than once a month. And so, you know, there's a little bit there, but somebody needs to go in there and roll up their sleeves and explain what's happening and why this is wrong. And also just discuss plant-based diets. Maybe there's something there that people need to be educated about. Yeah, I keep thinking that one day there's going to be a an invasion of the earth by people from outside our universe uh, and, and, and they're going to come down and they're going to say and they're going to say you people eat meat are you crazy uh, and, <laughs> and we're off on a tangent because this is just really nothing yes why are we talking about plant-based diets when the issue is lying about what's in biden's climate plan he has nothing about meat he has nothing about restricting grazelands nothing about cutting down the amazon nothing at all and to be distracted into a discussion which is by the way another agenda on vegetarianism and not eating animals that seems as dishonest and just not a good policy as ignoring them which we found that was bad to ignore them and let them say whatever they want. That did not work. I think treating everything as a teachable moment is also not a good idea when the press is hard-pressed to cover the stories we should be covering. Well, I think you can cover more than politics. And if you walk through any supermarket nowadays, you'll see whole new sections about plant-based diets, which means that this is something the public cares about and which means it's something the right-wing media has seized upon and is trying to exploit. I think it's more than politics. It's daily life. And it's something the journalism needs to embrace at some point. Well, that's a good idea. Do you think we've not covered it? I mean, I, yeah. I'm sick to death of reading about plant-based diets. So, you know, maybe it's because I haven't been in grocery stores in a while, but now my forays <laughs> into the grocery stores now that I've been vaccinated go, oh, my goodness, what's all this plant-based food doing here? <laughs> but the fact is that right. the messiness of scientific discovery is always hard for journalism to cover because it does – science goes in slow steps and then fast steps, and we always have had trouble translating basic research especially into language that people can understand. And it's so much more fun to write about a scientific advance and try to apply it to real life. Like this little kernel of research might yield a solution to Alzheimer's disease or something is very provocative. And it's hard for journalists to pass up the opportunity to write about that excitement and, and to get the story as a, as a front page headline when, in fact, it's just a small development in science. That's difficult for the mainstream media, isn't it? Well, not only that, Rex, you're certainly right about that, but the scientists are telling us, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me I've been reading in our press about this media, because this is the media project, that cows, well, there's certain words you can't say on the radio, but who expel gas. It's actually more burping. Cows are burping more than they are. Actually, Rex, I read both, Ah. both from the front and the rear, and uh, and that this is responsible for a good deal of what's making our atmosphere unsafe. Methane is well worth talking about, I think. It is. (laughs) Wow, we've gotten onto flatulence. We definitely are on tangents today. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I saw a meme of all things on the internet, which explains the difficulty that you're talking about, Rex. And it said that science is not the truth; science is seeking the truth. And so, when it changes its opinion, it isn't wrong; it's just learned more. And that is difficult to portray in stories, especially when we're doing them not every day, but on a case by case, every once in a while kind of way. It's hard to show that continuity of discovery. Right. And I feel it for the science journalists, for those who are trying to explain to a mass audience what it is that they understand so well. I mean, this has been a problem with the COVID-19 coverage. I think that there's been some really wonderful work that's been done by journalists around the globe explaining this to each other. But if we had been able to do it more effectively, I wonder if there would be the vaccine resistance that we now have. That is, if we had done a good job in science reporting for generations, would there be such a receptive audience for the vaccine resistors now who are stopping us from the sort of herd immunity that is going to eventually get us out of the COVID-19 crisis? Well, I'm contemplating how cool that would have been, but it would have taken prescience on the part of journalists, but also an unparalleled level of access by scientists who generally work in secret and don't want exposure on what they're finding because it is trial and error, literally. And so do you really want that out? If you were to portray scientific experimentation, it really would look like a mess, I think, like they're feeling their way in the dark. That would not come out as very dramatic or interesting. So it's a lovely idea, though. And it makes me wonder what else we should be covering right now that's, you know, in its infancy that could someday be so important. Well, to say nothing of the other problem here, and that is that people, a lot of people hate the press. They don't want to lose their hamburgers, but they also think that the press is hopelessly biased. And we know who they are. We know what side they're on. So, Rex, even if you told them the truth every day, 24-7, I don't know, they would improve things. Yeah, I think you put your finger on a huge part of the problem. Not only is it a question of credibility, but it's also just of access to people. That is, the fact-based media, as we kind of consider ourselves, those of us who are working in this line of things, as opposed to, say, the the Newsmaxes and uh, One America people, the fact-based media has a credibility issue, and we don't have as much access because people are more taken by the entertainment side of things, which is now so readily available. And, of course, as we've discussed here on this program, a lot of the fact-based media is in terrible economic straits. We've talked before about the downside. Nearly 30,000 newspaper jobs were lost from 1990 to 2016. That's 60% of newspaper jobs are gone. 20% of all the newspapers have closed in America in the last 15 years. Countless others have become kind of ghosts of themselves, in the words of the University of North Carolina, which has done research on this. And so there simply isn't the presence of media, news media, real news media in people's lives that there used to be. And so that's a question that we grapple with all the time, that at least we on this show haven't yet come up with a solution to that unless somebody in the past week has any of you have a solution to that one? <laughs> <laughs> that easy question. You know, Facebook announced in April that their revenues were up 48% over the same quarter last year. That's 48% wow. more revenue wow. for Facebook. Yeah, as part of it is they had more ads, and also they charge more for their ads. And so they're just sucking the advertising revenue out of the system. And Google and Apple as well. I mean, that needs to be addressed. I long will maintain that the daily habit of reading local news builds trust in the entire news media system. If you trust your local
local news source, maybe you're more likely to trust what the reporter, you know, on CNN or at the Wall Street Journal or at NPR are doing. So the Facebook revenues, the Google revenues, those things are just, they're finding the Internet to be cash cows. Well, as Rex has always said, correct? I believe it's Rex. Those institutions, Facebook and all of those major institutions, ought to be paying newspapers to continue. And, you know, I have certain issues with that, but let alone they are using the product of the news media. Well, and that's what has led to some lawsuits. In fact, there's a new lawsuit. Publishers of uh, 125 newspapers across the country have filed a new lawsuit against Google and Facebook saying that, you know, these tech giants have monopolized the digital advertising market, uh, what Judy was talking about, and they're engaged in illegal secretive deals and that there ought to be compensation. And this is now this rising effort around the globe. Australia has what's called the News Media Bargain Code, which is basically requiring the tech giants to cross-subsidize the local media. I think that's, Alan, what you're saying you're not too keen on. Well, no, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. Look, I apologize for this in advance because it's going to be... <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh, here provocative. it comes. <laughs> hit us with it. <laughs> well, I think what happens is that things change. And so there's been a real change in the economics of the news media. We all know that. And then you get, well, I know this isn't going to be popular with you guys, but you get the crybaby crowd, you know, the people who are yelling, oh, well, they ought to pay us and keep us going. I think it's not a bad idea if it's done without being forced to do it. And they got certainly got enough money to do it. It would be a drop in the bucket to support news media in the country and newspapers in the country. But I suspect, based on what we've seen thus far, it's not going to happen. That overlooks one thing, which is that news content, which newspapers and some broadcasts yeah. provides, is the raw material, the basic raw material of Facebook and Google. And they can't do it without that material. And they're not paying for it, which is one of the reasons that they have made the obscene profits that they're making. So it's not a typical, oh, the news media didn't figure out a good model, and so they deserve to lose business to Facebook and Google and the rest. Big Tech has absolutely exploited the free information of those papers and has not developed at the same time a way to get news content independent of stealing it. So, yeah, they should be paying for it or else developing their own reporter core. You know, every once in a while, Facebook will come out with a grant program. We saw a year ago when the pandemic hit, and they gave grants to all, a lot of local newspapers, but it was essentially chump change, to be honest. They had this thing called Facebook News they launched, in, I think, in 2019, where they work with essentially the prestige media companies, like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the networks, NPR, and they give them money, but they don't give the local papers, the local media organizations any money. And you know what? I'm not sure that they want to be given money by Facebook. I think they want what is legitimately their fair share. And one of the ways they could do it is if the media companies were able to negotiate with these companies about digital ad rates as a group. But right now, federal law, you know, antitrust law forbids them from doing that. There's legislation that would allow them to, you know, come together as a group and try to use the power of the multitude to get better deals. But right now, they just take the pennies that, you know, Facebook Facebook, Google, and Apple throw at them. Now, what about Yahoo? Didn't Yahoo set up a news thing, much ballyhoo, to gather their own news? Yes, and so have Google and Facebook. They both, both Google and Facebook, have announced that they're tripling their annual budgets directed toward journalism. That is, doing their own journalism. That is, to three hundred million dollars each per year over the next three years. 
So, you know, that is a lot of money that they're going to be devoting Google and Facebook to doing real journalism, they say, but it doesn't really still address what Judy is talking about in terms of the ecosystem of local journalism. And that's what's really been imperiled, what's going on in every community. That's why we have these news deserts across the country. So many places that have just been devastated by the loss of advertising. And if we're not going to directly subsidize journalism as a support pillar of democracy through tax dollars, then it ought to be done through statute that requires those who are taking the money out of those communities, Google and Facebook, they ought to be the ones then subsidizing journalism because journalism is a value in a democracy. I think that's the argument behind it, right? Do we really think that's true? If you cannot convince people of the need for local news, is it really up to Google and Yahoo to take it on to say, okay, well, we'll make sure Schenectady gets well covered. Is that really their job? Why is that on them? I have to say I'm kind of sympathetic to the capitalistic argument. Maybe that's not relevant. We we take it as gospel that local news is so important. But if the consumers don't agree with us, why should it be the fault of the big tech to say that it is? You know, you mentioned earlier the idea of the reporter who covered the Royals almost exclusively. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. It has to be easy to digest. It has to be, um, oh, I get that. I knew about Prince Philip as opposed to, you know, the other stuff, which is more hard to fill up on and understand. I don't know that our allegiance to the free market ought to outweigh our allegiance to democracy. I mean, if we really believe, as I do, that good reporting is an undergirding of the educated electorate, that is more important than sustaining this notion of capitalism of ideas, that if you don't really want it, then it doesn't need to be subsidized. We subsidize all I, kinds I of agree, things in our right. society through tax laws. I agree, yeah. Rex, but tax law is done by government, and uh, the importance of upholding democracy and an educated citizenry, that's not the job of business. That's the job of government. So why aren't we arguing for government subsidy the way the Brits do, rather than making big tech, which is business, pure and simple? Why is it their responsibility to make sure local news is healthy and robust? Isn't it because big tech is as big as government these days? Isn't that where the money really is? You know, why did John Dillinger rob banks? Because that's where the money is. I think that you go to the tech giants because they have the money. And in reality, tax dollars are not, you know, Congress is not going to do that. There's not going to be a subsidy that is going to get through Congress to support journalism, whereas it might be that there's this confluence of animosity toward the big tech from the left and the right that it may be that that would be how you make it happen. I'm just being practical. Okay, but being practical, let me just say, we're spending a lot of time on Facebook and news and Yahoo and news and all the rest. However, at the Chartok House, Facebook is very important because of the grandchildren. You know, because we keep putting, yeah. and I know, Rosemary, you've done it too. You put pictures yeah, up. absolutely. And most of it doesn't have a thing to do with people thinking about, do they get their news from Facebook? I'm struck that the argument Rex makes is practical, it's pragmatic, but is it philosophically sound? I mean, good treatment of labor is an important societal value. We didn't make standard oil ensure good conditions for workers. Government did that. We didn't put it on them. This is, it seems to me that local government, uh, local news, which you know I support, it's like my life, that's not a function of business. I don't want big tech involved in it. It should be government. What about just well, breaking up okay. big tech then, the way we broke up Standard Oil and broke up AT&T? Yeah, okay, antitrust. And also the Google suits that you're mentioning right now, that's, again, it's going through the courts, but again, it's a government solution, not a, a new role for business. 
I think we have to remember who owns many of these newspapers, what corporation, for example, owns newspapers. And I have no problem, Rex, with your sort of constant suggestion that government should support journalism. I have no problem with that. And Rosemary just mentioned it, too, I think. What I do object to is, for example, oh, boy, oh, boy. The Hearst getting money, from, <laughs> Here we go. getting money to to support their lifestyle. I mean, I have no problem with the NPR model, the not-for-profit model, but I do think that people will wonder whether or not most of the major media, which is owned, I know there are exceptions, but which is owned by individuals or groups or families, ought to be supported. Yeah, but let's not well, forget the hundreds and hundreds of local newspapers that are mom-and-pop operations as well. Absolutely. Um, you get a lot of corporations that have chains, uh, and you see more and more, and hedge funds are buying them, gobbling them up. But there are out there doing the, you know, the real small-town operations or a family that's owned this enterprise for generations, and they're still doing it, and they're plugging away, and they're working seven days a week. So there's a clear divide there. I agree with Alan. You don't want to see uh, corporations unjustly enrich themselves. But let's remember that we're just we're talking about um, you know a company like Google that gets more than 80% of its revenue from digital advertising. I agree. They're not just advertising local enterprises. One of the problems local newspapers face is the fact that the demise of, of Main Street, the rise of chain businesses that don't advertise in the local newspaper. So there's a lot of things going on. But I tend to agree, you know, that it's something we need to think hard about supporting because it's important for our democracy. And on that thought, we have to call it no, a day. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> this program ought to be an hour. There he goes again. It is a great conversation. I'm really grateful to my colleagues for making this happen. That would be Rosemary Armeo and Judy Patrick and Alan Shartok. With thanks to our producer, David Gustina, for stimulating these thoughts by giving us some great topics to talk about. And thanks to you folks for tuning in and joining us. I'm Rex Smith. On behalf of all of us, thanks for joining us this week on The Media Project. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding, ling, ding, ling, 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 ling. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movie's notwithstanding. They all got... The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, professor emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. The publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.